I'm reading from Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Um, Right. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to to live a life worthy of calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, thanks, Val. Uh, It's always nice when the Bible is read clearly. Uh, it's, It's the most important part of our service, I believe, is the Bible reading. You might think it's the sermon, but I think the Word of God being presented and read is actually the most important part of our service. So, so thank you, Val. Uh, let me pray and we'll have a look at this passage in more detail. Heavenly Father, as we open your Word and we consider the church and its call to unity, Father God, just open our eyes to your truth. Uh, help us to be faithful to your word and as it goes out lord we pray that your holy spirit will convict our hearts and where there is sin that we need to repent of Uh, father i pray that you will uh, guide us in that and where there's rejoicing because of the work that you're doing help us to rejoice with you and we pray all this in jesus name amen you don't have to look very far at the moment have we got the first slide up yep you don't have to look very far at the moment uh, to see the effects of disunity. I think, uh, I think the importance of unity is sometimes revealed by the effects of disunity. Can you uh, just, you might have to hit, no, can you go to the next slide? Is it on? Oh, there we go. Um, 
so you don't have to look very far. So the United States right now, uh, unfortunately, uh, they're going through an election. And I tell you, uh, the irony shouldn't escape us. The United States of America is actually not very united at all. Uh, accusations of stealing, accusations of cheating, accusations of, uh, of, of uh, expectations, of vote rigging, all sorts of things uh, are, are so prevalent. Uh, shopkeepers were boarding up their windows in preparation for the election, no matter who was to win. Uh, rioters uh, have been uh, on the ready. Uh, we've seen uh, people with uh, crowds with semi-automatic weapons turning up at vote counting uh, centres. And where accusations are there, uh, we've even seen tantrums of leaving. It's just rife. The effects of disunity uh, are, are very evident. Uh, in the United States right now. It can play out politically, it can play out in our workplaces, it can play out in our local communities, it can play out in our relationships, in our marriages, and so often, and as we are aware of, in our churches. See, the fruit of disunity is devastating. But is that the inevitable outcome? When people with differences are trying to be part of the same club, the same country, the same family, and the same church. Is that the inevitable outcome? Well, today we're going to answer a question. And the question is, how can the church be unified when there are so many differences amongst us? And that's what Paul is addressing today. How can the church be unified when there are so many differences amongst us? Well, Paul begins the passage by linking it to the previous chapters. If you have your Bible there, uh, just have a look at verse 1. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, we haven't looked at Ephesians for a number of weeks. So if you think back to chapter 2, he's just revealed that in Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, the Jew and the non-Jew, the Gentile, that were complete enemies, complete different cultures, complete different purposes, are reconciled to one another in Christ when they put their faith in him. And in the first verse of chapter 3, he then refers himself again uh, as the prisoner for the Lord. And he's emphasising that he has been called and given a gift of spiritual grace in order to reveal the mystery which has enabled the reconciliation of culture and of all sorts of differences. And if you have a look at chapter 3, verse 6, he says this mystery is that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. They are together one. And it's a mystery because previously it wasn't possible. And so Paul has been administering uh, this mystery as he preaches to the Gentiles. And then in the second half of chapter 3, Paul prays for the Ephesians that as one body of Christ with many differences, they will be rooted and established in love, having grasped the love that Christ has for them. 
And now he comes to chapter 4 by urging them, because of this reconciliation, because of this mystery, because of being one body, because they should know the love of Christ is uh, expressing itself in the love they have for each other, he says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And then he says in the rest of this passage, the fruit of this will be unity. It will be unity. There were so many reasons for the church to be disunified when a Jew and a Gentile are part of it. And that doesn't change today. And so he answers this question. So if that's the case, how can the church be unified if there are so many differences? And the first thing he says in verses 2 to 6 is that the church unity is maintained with peace. Church unity is maintained with peace. I'm just going to reread verses 2 to 6. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you notice the starting point that Paul is making about unity is that we have, in Christ, we start with peace. We start with oneness. We start with unity. It's not for the church to go, oh, we're all in this together now. Let's create unity. No, in Christ, we start by having unity. Unity is something the church destroys. It isn't something the church needs to create. It's already inherently there. We have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. These are the gifts of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit has done as he has brought the church together, regardless of your background, regardless of your culture, regardless of anything that has gone on previously or the things that you still hold on to now. Because there is a unifying reality in the gospel for the church. And so as we are grafted in, we begin with unity. See, when you buy a new car, and that's not my car, no, I'd be, on, I'd be a televangelist if I wanted one of those cars, you don't need to do anything to fix your car. You don't drive it out of the lot brand new to the mechanic and go, can you fix the engine? It is already made as it should be for you to go and enjoy and to, for you to go about doing what you do. Your job is to maintain it. Your job is to service it regularly. Your job is to make sure you clean it, to drive it in a way which doesn't end up taking the roof off by the looks of it. And that is a car that's just been effectively driven out of the lot, and that's what happened. So your job is to maintain it. You don't go home and start creating the engine or, or, or start creating the car. You maintain it. 
if you fail to change the coolant in the radiator, if you don't top up the oil, if you don't wash off for the salt water as you back your boat into the ocean, that's personal experience. We fail if we, don't, if we fail to change the diff oil, the bushes, the suspension, the air filter, spark plugs, damage is going to occur. We need to maintain it. The church, fresh from the manufacturer, is united in its purest form. If we fail to maintain it, damage is going to occur. Because the ones charged with maintaining it, unfortunately, are broken themselves. And so when we act out in our brokenness and we fail to maintain the church, damage occurs to the unity of the church. We are called first and foremost to maintain unity by the bond of peace. And this is the life worthy of the calling that he's just said in verse 1. And if you have a look at verse 2, he gives us uh, the way that we should be living out. And these are fruits of the Spirit. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. I think bearing with one another is one of the critical realities of maintaining unity in the church. It's not just putting on the agenda every now and again that, oh, there's an issue, let's try to fix it. Look how he says, make every effort in verse 3. And the primary way we do this is how God has reconciled his church to himself and the Jew and Gentile to each other by this mystery. And that is forgiveness. We need to bear with one another and express that in forgiveness because our focus is on relationship. The church, is, uh, the church are the people and we keep that bond of peace through forgiving one another, bearing with one another, being humble in how we express our opinions and what we think. Jesus said it very succinctly in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. Do you value the unity of the Spirit, the unity of, the God, of God's church? Do you value it enough to commit to a bond, a glue of peace? Or are your opinions and what's best for you and your family or the annoyances that people make and the idiosyncrasies that get you a little off, off, off kilter, do you value those more highly than the bond of unity? See, we are to maintain unity through the bond of peace. Well, the second thing we're told in this passage is that while we maintain unity by the bond of peace, we also build unity. We strengthen it by using our spiritual gifts. Have a look at verses 7 to 13. I'll read verses 7 to 8 and then verses 11 uh, to 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives 
and gave gifts to his people. In verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the bond of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole fullness, or, uh, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, we should also grow in unity, not just maintain it. And we do this by serving one another in love. And notice, notice the significance of Christ having apportioned grace to us. Paul has just said in the previous chapter that the grace that was apportioned to him was the gift to administer the mystery, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. What it's talking about is we've all been in get endowed with a spiritual gift. Paul talks about in Corinthians the idea of we are one body, which is mentioned here, made up of many parts, and there's not one part of us that isn't essential for a healthy body to be functioning. Whether you're append an appendix, you still matter. Or whether you are the heart, you still matter. Everyone matters. The toe can't say to the finger, we don't need you. But notice he's apportioned the leaders who are entrusted with the word of God to equip the saints to be able to minister to one another. The apostles, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists. These are the people that are ministering the word of God. And as we minister the word of God, you should be strengthened in, it says, your knowledge of the Son of God in order to reach unity in the faith. See, the core of unity is the right doctrine, is the right gospel. This is what gives us our purpose, our meaning, our understanding. Yes, there are some doctrines which we disagree on in different churches, but the core gospel, the truths that hold us together and bind us in unity are non-negotiable. And they are the very core doctrines that we need to hold on to as a church. And when you are deepening in your faith and understanding of the knowledge of Christ, and as you are bringing those in and as you are encountering him in the word, as the evangelists and as the teachers and as the preachers and as the, and, and as the apostles are, are ministering to you, then the purpose of your life, the purpose of the church's life becomes evident to make disciples of all nations, to love God, to love people, to make disciples. And so what happens as you deepen in those things, the peripheral things that you were focused on before seem to make less, less they matter less. The person who says things which gets your, gets your goat up, the way they say them, well, as you journey together, you recognise the heart that they have for the gospel and for the Lord is the same as what you have despite the way they go about doing it. 
their opinions about all sorts of things, uh, about whether it's the music or traditions or whatever, we start recognising that the generational differences, while we have to grapple with these and they are important, they are not the core thing that binds us together. We are bound in unity because of the gospel, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth around that. And when we are on the same page about that, then we can work out and grow together. And we build unity as we serve one another rather than try to bring each other down with our own agendas. We love one another by serving one another using the gifts that we have. Whether it's an, a practical serving of hospitality, whether it's a serving of teaching, whether it's a serving of, of encouragement, the gifts of the Spirit will rise up and we will reflect Christ as the servant God. And the church will build unity. It's like Lego. Now, I'm going through a Lego season at home. I can be up at 5am, which is when our kids like to get up after this morning jumping on my head, and I can find myself not long after 5 o'clock building an ice cream truck, building, uh, building a police uh, truck which has a, a cabin and a trailer. This is our last latest thing, and, and, a, and a helicopter which was given for a birthday. I can be building anything. So when you wake up, you just realise that I'm building Lego. But this, the, in it, at home, we've got all our Lego in this big... It's like this big uh, bag, if you like, and it's got a drawstring around. Some of you may have this. And we just pile all the Lego into it. And we draw the string, and it's in this huge thing, and we put it in the cupboard, and then we get it out again. We undraw it, and there's all the Lego pieces all just dumped together. And there are two ways we can do Lego. We can grab, uh, grab an instruction booklet, which has come with, the, with that certain pack, and we can filter through all the pieces and build our truck or whatever it is. Or we can go freestyle. And I tell you, freestyle is not really my forte. I'm more of a let's follow the instructions kind of guy. So when my kids wake me up at 5 o'clock in the morning and say, can you please build me racing cars? That's pretty much what I come up with on the right there. That's not a picture of what I've done, but I think that's a bit better than what I've done. That's what it should look like in their head on the left, but that's what ends up. And I can tell you when they've got that picture on the left and they get that on the right, well, it's not a very unified household at that point. They're thinking one thing. I'm trying to deliver another thing. I'm asking them questions. What do you mean? What do you want? What is this? And no one really knows what we're working towards and we just end up with this jumbled mess of, of, a, of a racing car. See, that's what the church can be like when we're not grounded in the instruction of the gospel and the doctrines that are core and essential. We can all have our own pictures of what a church should be. We can all have our pictures of what we should be prioritising. And so we're all trying to achieve our own little images of what the, the church is. And what does that end up in? 
disunity. It ends up in aggression at times, harsh words, gossip, slander. But here God in his grace has given us our core purpose, our core identity, what we should be building in his word. And when we are seeking that together, we hopefully would end up with a church that looks like what his instruction book, I don't like referring to the Bible as an instruction book, but his revelation has revealed to us about what the church should be. We are to maintain unity with peace, but build unity by using our spiritual gifts to serve one another for the common purpose of building the kingdom, the church. Well, finally, we, we come to the third uh, point that Paul makes, and he says we not only maintain unity and we not only build unity, but we mature unity with love. Church unity is matured in love. Have a look at verses 14 to 16. Verse 14 is really a reinforcement of the previous section. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Can you see what's happening there before I keep reading? You've got the right doctrine and no matter what comes to try to knock your church about, you know what you are about. You are about the gospel. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I do all these things but I have not love, then I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. See, love is exactly what we are called to be. God is love. We are to express to each other a service and a, and a building up of each other in love. So the church is like good quality cheese. Good quality cheese, uh, ageing is the most important thing uh, in the cheese production. Now, I'm not a cheese producer, but I, I've got access to the internet. And as a cheese ages, microbes and enzymes transform texture and intensify the flavour. And you encourage this by maintaining the environment in which it's in. So you ensure the temperature, the humidity, all the conditions where the cheese is held is able to enable what's already within the cheese, has been put into the cheese, to come together to mature in its flavour and mature in being cheese. The church is the same. God has gifted everything into the church. He is the one who has built the church. We create an environment, yes, for it to flourish. But as we 
serve one another with our gifts as we do what we're meant to be doing and called to be doing and back to verse 1 as we live lives worthy of the calling that we have received our unity not only grows but it matures now some of you have been in marriages for a long time now we would be foolish to think that there hasn't been times <coughs> excuse me where you have had to battle, you have had to work and wrestle things out, that you have had to go through suffering beyond what you ever would dream on anyone, but you've also seen joys beyond what you ever imagined you could see. But you are still married. And why is that? It's because you have matured together as you've journeyed those things together. So the church is no different. This is filled with reality here. Paul isn't saying there's not going to be disagreements. Paul isn't saying that the church is going to be filled with happiness and joy, joy all the time. He's not going to say that things won't attack our church, that the wolves won't come in, that the false teachers won't come in. He's not saying that those things aren't there. In fact, the very last part of this letter is all about putting on the armour to fight the spiritual battle. But what he is saying is that if you focus on a spirit of peace to maintain unity, that you are serving one another in love, that you are loving one another deeply from the heart, that you are putting off the self, and your own needs in order to serve others first, that you are reflecting who Christ is, and that as others come in, and as, as, as others try to infiltrate what's happening here, then you know who you are, you have matured in who you are, and they will come across the true gospel, they will come across a church of love, which will have an effect on them. And hopefully... They will be impacted by a, a place that they have never seen before, one which reflects the calling in which a life worthy is being lived. See, anyone who matures in any relationship, after a while those idiosyncrasies start falling away and you start seeing the heart of the other person. And that's what we should be doing as a church. Over time, we should see each other's hearts, be encouraged by that, bear with one another in love as we build together in unity. See, unity isn't something which we have to necessarily work out. It is here, but we have to nurture it and we have to make sure that we are focused on the right things. So the question that we asked at the beginning was, how can the church be unified when there are so many differences amongst us? Well, unity in the church is maintained with peace, it is built with spiritual gifts, and it is matured with love. My prayer is that as a church, that is who God is creating us to be. Well, let's pray. Father God, 
Thank you that you have blessed us with a mystery where we can be unified and reconciled to each other purely through the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross and was raised again and that through faith in him we have forgiveness. Father God, we pray that as a church we can forgive one another our grievances, that we can move into a direction which is focused and is wholeheartedly uh, one with purpose as we understand our purpose is to love you, love people and make disciples for Christ. Father God, we pray that you will bless us in the years ahead, that we will mature like a fine cheese where everyone is using their gifts and serving one another out of reverence for Christ and loving one another deeply from the heart. Father God, I pray for the, for the factions and the, the relational tensions that uh, may exist in our church. Father, whatever it is that is creating a dissension or, or creating anything which uh, is breaking relationship, I pray that you will humble us, Lord, and that you will drive us to ask for forgiveness and that you will freely be uh, forgiving, that we will be a people forgiving one another because we know that you have first forgiven us. So Father God, thank you for the gospel and thank you for our unity and thank you for the path and the direction that you have blessed us with. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.